All right. All right. Well, good morning. If you don't know me, I'm Pastor Mark. It is a pleasure to have you here at our church this morning. And uh, we're working on a series in James. Terrific book. And today I'd love everybody to turn to the first chapter of James, if you will, in your Bibles. We're going to look at verses 12 through 18 today. Verses 12 through 18 in James chapter 1. It reads, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. In our previous section, we looked at trials that we call from without, on the outside, trials from without. And these trials we faced head on, and the purpose of them was spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. The things today we're going to talk about come from within, on the inside. So you have from without, and you have from within. But all all of these trials from without and from within can be seen as our proving ground as we endure faithfully in life's trials. James once again reminds us of our steadfastness receiving the crown of life. Folks, that's the victor's crown as we enter eternal life. But this has nothing to do with perseverance, right? It has nothing to do with your perseverance or your endurance. But it's endurance and resolute firmness that we display in steadfastness that reveals that we not only belong to God, but it shows our love for Him and our attitudes, our behaviors, our submission, our obedience. See, our receiving of the crown of life, folks, has everything to do with relationship. How do we know this? Because He tells us that His promise is to those who love him. Not to your own personal perseverance and endurance and strength. It's for those who love him. So we find in steadfastness our identity in Christ. It's our evidence of we love the fact that we love him. Well, <clears throat> why, why did James connect these two things from without and from within? It's because the testing of what is on the outside can easily become a temptation for us on the inside. Today's focus is just that. It's the temptation that comes from within. Now, <clears throat> James immediately, and I love this, he immediately starts out by saying or stating who is to blame and who is not. We love to point the finger of blame, don't we? We want it off us. 
but he states immediately who's to blame and who is not. God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself, he does not tempt with evil. Excuse me, this is on us, folks. We are the ones to blame for the temptations that we are lured and enticed by. What is this evil, though? And this is where, oh, so many people get it wrong. What is this evil? Because see, further down in the text, James writes that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God. If we look at the creation story, we can see that everything God made was good. You agree with that, correct? Absolutely. Everything God made was good. So did God create evil. Is he the creator of evil? Can we actually point our finger at him? Absolutely not. So what is this evil? Here it is, folks. Evil is the absence of good. What happens is Satan, this rebellious world, you, me, what we do is we take something good and we spoil it. We remove the good and we use it for bad. We accomplish a good thing in a bad way. Again, God does not work in this manner. He doesn't work in this manner. The reason this all happens is when we want to accomplish something in a bad way, it's because it's out of God's will. When we're out of God's will, that's when we see the perverted forms of God's good creation because everything was created good. So it's the absence of it. And he doesn't work like that. He cannot be tempted with evil, and he is incapable of inciting others to sin. That is not God. So this belongs completely to the fallen human who is deceived by their very own heart. And we know this, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17.9. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, Who can understand it? This is why Paul exhorts Timothy in that first part of Timothy 4. He exhorts him to keep a close watch over himself, to immerse, to practice, right? To keep a close watch and persist in this watch because it is easy to be allured and enticed by temptation from within. You know, whether it be the devil or his agents, whether it be the rebellious world that we live in, right? Whether it be the influence of your very own sin nature, the Bible, God's word, calls you to resist. Left unchecked, just like a bad engine light. Left unchecked, temptation can easily give birth to sin. And believe me when I tell you, sin is a process. I want you to remember that. Sin is a process. We know the end result of this process, don't we? The end is death. Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, God's gifts are free, but Satan's? Satan's you pay dearly for. God's gifts are free. These are the good things. We see that in the creation story. Now, What happens before this end? What happens before this result of death because of sin? Well, it's desire. See, desire brings forth sin, and sin brings forth death. Desire is where we have got to start. 
This is our starting point if we're going to understand the true nature of the fallen human who is lured and enticed into the snare of temptation. Lust is a very good word. Lust is an excellent word to associate with desire. All of us, we have all lusted or are lusting for something. And I believe I'm correct in saying that. I believe we have all found ourselves in that snare of lust. And folks, this is not just a sexual component, right? We're not talking about just a sexual component. We are talking about anything that is desirable, anything that we lust after. For instance, we have God-designed, God-given desires. We have hunger. We have the desire to eat, so we eat. We have the desire of thirst, so we drink. The union between a man and a woman. We multiply the human race. Without desire, we would not be able to function. But taking each one of these, as you can see that are normal, God-given, God-designed, taking each one of these, they can be carried out in a bad way. In other words, we can satisfy these desires outside of God's will, and therein lies the problem. Satisfying our desires outside of God's will. And this is the great deception. What is today's title? The temptation, the deception of temptation? This is the great deception. Now, hunger. And I, I know I overeat, guys, but I'm not a glutton yet. I'm, just trust me. I know I eat a lot, but it's because y'all cook so well. But we can take the desire to eat, to be hungry, and you can commit gluttony. We can take the desire to thirst, and we can become a drunkard. We can fall into drunkenness. And let's just talk about sex real quick. This is a cultural time bomb. You have same-sex relations. You have the great gender debate. You have sexual abuse. And I can go on and on, as we know that these are some of the greatest sins that this world is facing right now with temptation. It's the absence of good. God created good, and we have perverted it because we have done His good outside of His will. And that's where we are in the world today. Because the deception of temptation. <clears throat> James says this, Do not be deceived. Now, I know that's easier said than done. <laughs> Do not be deceived. A lot of times, temptation does not appear as temptation. Let's go ahead and paint that picture right now. A lot of times, it does not appear as temptation because temptation presents itself in a way that it seems way more alluring than it actually is. Way more alluring than it actually is. The trap, if you will, is hidden in the alluring. It's hidden in the enticing temptation. Fishing. A lot of us love to fish here. When fishing, it is very unusual for a fish to pursue or even bite an empty hook, a hook with no bait. Enjoy your fishing trip with no bait, folks. They're not biting. The deception is to hide the hook, right? To hide that hook within the bait so that we can catch a fish with a luring and enticing bait. We want to hide the hook. So, This is the same for our temptations, not to reduce it to fishing, but this is the same for our temptations. They appeal to our natural desires. Did you get that? They appeal to our natural desires. 
The bait or the temptation, if you will, that's what gets us excited. That's what gets us excited. But this is the great deception that we all fall prey to. That's why it's in, that's why it's in Scripture. We all fall. Let's talk about King David. King David. King David was walking on the, the roof of his palace when he looked down and he saw this woman bathing. Her name was Bathsheba. You know this story. Now here is the baited hook. Bathsheba bathing is the baited hook. It's a natural desire, yet for David, without, was with the absence of good, right? The absence of good. So David inquires about her. Here's the conception. David is inquiring about her, and then he sends men to retrieve her. Here's all the conceiving part, right? And he brings her to him, and he laid with her. We see the desire gives birth to sin. Bathsheba conceived. She became pregnant. David attempts a cover-up for his sin by trying to manipulate Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to go and lay with her. But David fails. He fails miserably in this effort. And so what does he do? He sends Uriah to the forefront of the hardest fighting where he is killed. Cover-up success. He's killed. David takes her, Bathsheba, as his wife. Right? And she delivers to him a son, but their son dies. Now, if David could have seen where this desire would take him, do you think he would have given in to the temptation that he brought on himself? Sometimes we've got to think of consequences. We don't. We're a heat-of-the-moment type of people, aren't we? Had David considered the consequences, could see this, this desire that he brought on himself, I doubt he would have executed and fallen through with this absence of good in his natural desire this bait was hiding the sorrow this bait was hiding the grief it was hiding the punishment folks this is the deception of temptation genesis 3 let's talk about genesis 3 though just the first six verses it says this now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the lord god had made he said to the woman, did God actually say, you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now listen to this. So the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Within this text, we can see the absence of good happening right before our very eyes. You see the desire. And when it conceives, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It is one of the tricks of the enemy. Folks, this is one of the tricks of the enemy. That is to second-guess God. Things like this. Hey, man, did God really say that? Is he holding out on you? Aren't you hungry, Eve? I mean, you're hungry, right? Doesn't God love you? Doesn't he care for you? The deception of temptation, that's what it sounds like as we are enticed 
as we are lured. Folks, our God does not change. Our God does not change. He is the Father of lights. There is no variation or shadow due to change. In His creation, we can see how the movement of the earth and the lights in the sky, we can see as we keep calendars in time, we see the variation of light. We see shadows. God, the creator of those lights, there is no variation. He does not change. So if our God is unchanging, we should never question His love for us or His goodness because we can see it in that creation story. And this applies to His Word too. It applies to the Word of God, the sword, our truth. So knowing this, we cannot blame God for our temptations. However, and hear this. Oh, we're about to get into something big in a second. If we fail to view sin as rebellion against God, that's severing our connection to Him, right? That is our disconnection. We're disconnected, separated from Him. If we are to fail to view sin as rebellion to God, aren't we in essence blaming God instead of ourselves? If we're not willing to point the finger here, where are we going to point it? Aren't we shifting the blame off of us? <clears throat> this is happening. This is happening. Even under the umbrella of Protestantism. Our church, Protestantism. There is a movement called the progressive movement. The progressive church. The progressive Christian. As I present some information as to what this movement believes and what they do not believe, I need you to see that everything boils back down to individual desire, the beginning of the process of sin. I need you to truly understand where I'm going with this, that it starts with individual desire. In this process, this is what happens before giving birth to sin. And this is where we find the deception of temptation. And it occurs. It's occurring a lot. And again, as I present this information to you, I need you to focus on the deception at work. I did a search. <clears throat> I did it from here to Raleigh. Oh, and there were many, many churches. I just chose seven, okay? And if you're okay, I want to read some things to you of on there, what we believe, what we don't believe. I need you to understand what desire is doing even to the church under Protestantism. And before I go on, this is a false gospel, and this is a false teaching. We search the Scriptures with open-minded thoughtfulness, taking the Bible seriously while knowing it cannot be taken literally. We seek in our quest for truth, not God's quest, right? Not His truth. Our quest for truth, the presence of the divine in worship and prayer, in all of creation, in every person, sacred and worth, and in faiths and traditions, other than our own, while always appreciating with all the mysteries inherent in life. We establish a safe haven, free from fear of judgment, where wounds are healed, differences are celebrated, and inclusivity is intentional. Remember that. I'm coming back to that. Inclusivity is intentional. We ask questions with curiosity, taking the Bible seriously, but not literally, and finding wisdom in the traditions and practices of other faiths. Oh, listen to this one. A creation-centered community which celebrates the divine mystery in all of creation. We teach that divinity permeates all things and that humanity is created as an original blessing. We seek to continually celebrate the divine mystery present throughout the holy gift of all creation. 
But then in italics, it says, learn more about creation spirituality. And I thought, well, this is interesting. This looks like a little baited hook to me. So I clicked, let's learn about creation spirituality. And in context of what was just <clears throat> read, here's the next two parts that don't show up online. You've got to click it. It says this. It is through the work of spiritual practice that we move beyond fear into com compassion and discover our deep and true selves. Here's the beginning of that desire I'm talking about, that individual, individual desire. We discover our deep and true selves. Creation spirituality is the old age tradition of listening to the story of spirit told by the creation that embodies it. We listen through deep communion with nature. We listen to the voices of the mystics from all spiritual traditions, such as Rumi, Buddha, Hildegard, Black Elk, and Jesus. I'm going to repeat that, because if that doesn't get you upset, they just put the Lord and Savior of all, the Creator of all, in line with poets, philosophers, holy men, shaman. They threw Jesus in with the voices of the mystics. So they say this, we also listen to the deep wisdom that bubbles up from our own personal devotions and spiritual practice. What could that practice be? And we listen to the needs and cries of the world that awaken our compassionate hearts and inspire us to take the action needed to bring about justice and peace. Ecological and social justice are our priorities as the imperative for the healing, sustainability, and harmony among our species and this earth. And it's in community. It's entire earth community. Like many creation mystics and activists over the ages, we believe that the aim of spirituality is not just union with the divine, but to leverage our experience of union into the transformation of the world, creating a new beloved world community, including the earth itself of peace, inclusion, justice, and liberation. Our church is a place that follows the transforming life and teachings of Jesus while accepting the wisdom from all religious traditions. And buckle your seatbelts. Here's the good one. This is a biggie. We believe sin is not a big deal. That is the title on this site. We believe sin is not a big deal. That sounds scandalous when you say it. And to be honest, we kind of go for that effect. Of course sin damages our lives. It damages our families, our relationships, and our futures. Does it, they say nothing about damaging your relationship with God, by the way. But compared to the vastness of God's inclusive grace and forgiveness, sin is just not a big deal. It is certainly not big enough deal to organize our spiritual lives around it. Consequently, <laughs> and we're not too focused on sin. We don't spend, I didn't want to mention the church name there. So consequently, we're not too focused on sin. We don't spend energy trying to keep one another on the straight and narrow. Rather, we encourage one another to listen to the indwelling spirit and let God move us. We listen carefully for inner spiritual conviction and then respond fervently, excuse me, we respond fervently to what we hear. Do this and sin tends to take care of itself. Do this and sin takes care of itself. We are committed to discover and develop ritual narrative and myth that brings meaning to our spiritual journeys while honoring the laws of science. We ground our activism 
and intentional spiritual centeredness and our spirituality in making changes in the world. We seek to employ Gandhi and King's principles of nonviolence and live out a non-binary spirituality where our inner and outer work are equally honored. Last one. We seek to reclaim our Christian history and the holy writings of the mystics and prophets centered in the life and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. Not Son of God, not Savior of the world, but Jesus of Nazareth. We also celebrate the rich, living faith expressions of other religious traditions, including nature-based and animist pathways. Now that should scare the, the pants off you right there. Animist pathways... Nature-based, this is, this is the spiritual world we're talking about. This is where some people are induced into a drug-like state to enter this type of trip in the spiritual world. Everything I read to you are for churches that are popping up in neighborhoods just like ours, ours all around this state, all around this nation. There is a progressive movement that is taking the beautiful and good and perfect word of God and perverting it. They're taking the teachings of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and they're perverting it. They, I'm going to give it to you. Here's, I studied this, and I'm going to give you my take on it. They are all about the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. That's our second greatest commandment. You're right, you should do that. But what they do is they don't take a biblical view of it. It's not biblical, folks. It's cultural. I told you about inclusivity. Their church is built on, we love everyone and everybody can come here. Big whoop, so is our church. We don't need to hang banners outside addressing particular sins. Hey, you can invite here if this is your deal, or if this is your issue, come. We, we'll, we'll include. Any God-loving, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, their doors are inclusive. Anybody can come in here. You just have to be ready to understand that once you're in here, what you're going to hear is exclusive. Because see, Jesus is the center, he's the object of our faith. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. So inclusivity, absolutely. I don't care what your deal is, come in and sit down, but you have to know that Christianity is exclusive. So that's where we're at. If this church, talking about these churches, if this movement, if it's willing to skip over the end result of sin, if it's willing to skip over the end result then why would they be concerned about the process of sin at all? They're not. Desire. You ready for this? Wherever it leads becomes their spiritual journey. If they think this thing, it becomes their spiritual journey. If they're moved by this and they want to go political with it, guess what? This becomes their spiritual journey. That's the great deception of temptation right there. What are they reading, by the way? I mean, do they have a Bible? Are they tearing pages out? I don't know how you would section the Bible out. It would be very few pages left that don't address sin or sinful nature or living in sin. I've, <laughs> I know the book pretty well. I've combed through it. I can't find a lot that doesn't tell us sin is bad. You know what I told you earlier when they said sin's not a big deal to us? It's just not a big deal. No, folks. The truth is God is not a big deal to them because they said nothing about God. What's the first greatest commandment? Loving God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, right? That's everything we got. They could care less about addressing that. They wanted to address our neighbor, 
our all-inclusive neighbor because we're all about love and we're going to change this world. Scripture, these ancient texts, these are thousands of years old. They don't apply anymore. No. If you're reading the same Bible, in James it says God is unchanging. There's no variation. There's no variation to his word. So you're telling me that you're going to alter this text to fit what you believe culturally, not biblically. See, the illustration of temptation's deception here, guys, it should make us very aware of keeping a close watch on ourselves. This is what I want to get to. I'm off the progressive movement now. Thank you for listening to my rant. But it should make us more aware of keeping a close watch on ourselves. The unchanging Word of God is essential in this. Our love is directed to God. And because of this love, guess what? We we get to be recipients of a wonderful, wonderful promise. That's the crown of life. We receive the crown of life. This is why James calls us and himself. He includes himself in this too. We are all blessed. So steadfastness in the trials of our lives, whether from without or from within, are for spiritual growth. They are for spiritual maturity. But the extreme danger, the extreme danger lies in the temptations that flow out of our deceptive hearts. That's why we keep a close watch. We are to be on guard, to be steadfast, knowing that we have been saved. We have been justified. We are continually sanctified. And all of this stemming from God's perfect, perfect gifts. The greatest of these gifts is yet to come. It's coming nonetheless, amen? The greatest gift is on its way when we get to enter into and enjoy all that eternal life has to offer when we're with our God. So be steadfast under the trial of temptation because it's deception. It wants to draw you away from God. We have got to be on guard. We have got to keep a close watch. It's happening everywhere in our world today. It's happening everywhere. And this church was a perfect illustration of it. We see it in Genesis with Adam and Eve. We can see it with David and Bathsheba. We can see it in this progressive movement. But we have got to be able to see it right here. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for you being our God. Lord, we also thank you right now for allowing us to be a part of a church. A church, Lord, that believes straightforward Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Father, we believe every word of the Bible is inerrant. It is perfect. Father, we know the truth. We have it. The reason so many people are deceived is, Father, they have no idea about your absolute truth. But we thank you, God, right now that we have it and that this church is built on your word and it will always remain steadfast in teaching and preaching your word. So we thank you for that, Father. Lord, we ask you to be with each and every one of us as we guard our hearts, as we ask you, Lord, for protection. Help us keep watch. Father, because we know, we know that we're fallen. We know that we're broken. And Lord, the damage is there. The sin nature is there. We have temptations. Lord, we pray right now that we allow the natural desires that you've given us that Lord, we focus on the good. 
the good, Lord, not the absence of it, the good. That's what we need in our lives, Father, more and more good. Help us turn to your perfect word. Help us turn to you who are perfection in prayer. Help us lean on each other for guidance and help. Father, this is a world that does not love you. This is a world that does not acknowledge you, and we can see that happening everywhere, but we do love you. Father, we honor you. We just want to give you the glory and praise today and let you know that we want to follow you and pursue you with everything we are, everything we have. So I'm asking you right now, God, please, just change our hearts. Renew the spirit within, Father, and direct us according to your will, Father. Help us resist these temptations that would draw us away from you. That is our prayer today. Lord, we thank you for everything. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could have uh, the ushers come forward. Folks, this is the uh, last part of our service today. One of the most important parts. And that, of course, is communion. And in communion, you and I today have the opportunity to draw near to the Lord's table. We have the opportunity today to celebrate the communion, right? The body and blood of Christ. And we're grateful to remember, you guys can come on up. You guys come on up. We are grateful to remember that our Lord instituted this ordinance. Our Lord gave us this ordinance. And what's the purpose? What's the point? Well, it's for the memory of His love for us. It's for the memory of what He did up on that cross. He died for us. It's the pledge of His love that we remember. We bond with Him in union today as members of a body, of a collected body of believers to commune with our Lord and Savior. It's a seal. We are sealed by His grace. And it's a renewal of our obedience to Him. It's an opportunity for, to us to really love on our Savior. We celebrate Him. We celebrate the spirituality that He gives us because of the act on the cross. And you know what else it is? It's an awesome remembrance that He is coming back again for us. So we want to give all the glory and honor to our God today as we commune with Him. The Bible says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You came down into this world. You came to us. Our gracious Heavenly Father sent You to us. You were a sacrifice. You were an offering. Father, there has been no offerings on this face of this earth in the history that could ever accomplish what You have accomplished. You came to do the Father's will. And in that, You gave Your very life for us upon that cross. Father, You achieved all things and that was for the love of Your creation, us. You are truly 
truly the bread of heaven. And as we partake, Lord, of this bread now, we pray that you just ravish our hearts, Father. Change us. Bring us into obedience, Father. And refresh our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.